in the house tomorrow night. Uh, you guys did a phenomenal job last week of packing up about half of the, uh, the food items that we're going to be giving out this Saturday. So I need everybody, all hands on deck tonight and tomorrow as we get ready for our Share the Love and the Grub event. And listen... We did about half, so there's not a ton of work left over, but there is a good amount of it, so the more hands we got in there, the quicker we can get it done. But I will tell you this, uh, based on how much stuff we have, we're going to have leftovers. And y'all get dibs on the leftovers. So if y'all want to take a box of Pringles, if y'all want to take a box of pancake mix, some of that Gatorade, like, hey, we're going to let y'all have some of these leftovers, but you got to be here for that. And then on Saturday, if you're curious about the time, we need everybody here by 11, 11.30 the latest, so that we can set up the parking lot and we can get ready for the cars as they come in. And uh, if you got family members that want to help out, that's cool. Uh, but I'd love to have you guys in. We got a college from uh, Trinity, uh, one of our Assembly of God universities. They got a whole group that's going to be coming out and helping us out. I am just very excited about what God is going to do in that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in this message. But just want to give you guys a lot. We need you tomorrow so we can finish packing up the stuff. And Saturday from 11 to about 2 o'clock so we can distribute all the share the love and the grub items. Amen. Also, uh, real quickly, we got momentum coming up in less than a couple of weeks, yo. And uh, slowly and steadily, you guys are starting to turn in the forms. I heard like five people walk in here go, oh, I forgot my form. It's like you don't remember until you see Haley, which is messed up. And so take a picture of Haley, take it home, and, it, and maybe that, that sounds creepy, right? Um, remember Haley, go home, and then remember to bring your forms tomorrow. Um, we just want to make sure we got an accurate head count. And I need you to know, we got the hotel rooms already locked in, but we're limited by the hotel rooms. So uh, if we get everybody in and you decide to try to show up the day of and hope that you can get on the bus, we might have room on the bus, but we don't have room for you to sleep. And so we can't take you. And so we need you to understand, first come, first serve. Make sure you get your forms in. And if you got more than one sibling in the family, I know that's really expensive for the house. Just talk to me. We'll always work that out with you. We want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to go. And I've been saying this for the last 12 years, and I'll say it till I can't say it no more. We will never let money be a reason why you can't encounter the thing that God wants you to encounter. Amen? One more thing, and uh, let me just take a moment on this one because I want to make sure I teach you right on this. On Sunday, uh, we're going to be having baptisms here at church, and uh, one of our own is going to be getting baptized. Bella, where you at? My girl Bella's getting baptized. So number one, we need you all here to encourage and cheer on Bella as she goes through this great commitment of faith. But I want to talk to you real quick about baptisms because I need you to understand a few things about baptisms. Number one, baptism is not optional. It's a commandment. It's what God said you have to do, not you maybe kind of do if you feel like doing it. It's something you have to do if you are a believer. So if you have made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you need to get baptized on the back end of that. Now, the problem that I find with most teenagers is we think that there's somehow this gap of things you need to do between saying yes to Jesus and getting baptized. Like somehow you got to get a doctorate before you get baptized or you got to be saved X amount of years to make sure that it's stuck or something dumb like that. I don't see that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, what I see in the Bible over and over again in the New Testament is people get saved and then they got baptized. Matter of fact, there's this one situation where God supernaturally brings one of his people in front of this Ethiopian and he breaks down the scriptures for him and he looks at the guy and he goes, what's stopping me from getting baptized right here? 
And Philip's like, nothing, bro. Let's do it right here, right now. And so I need you to know, if you are saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you know that, you're confident in that, and you have not been water baptized, you are not only, um, you know, missing an important step. I would argue you're in sin in that moment because the Bible says if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, that's sin. And here's why I'm saying it to that degree. What if it's not about you? Right? What if this baptism is the one opportunity that friends and family are going to come to church because of your baptism? You all realize how many people will support you and not love God and not have a relationship with God, but they'll come because of you? This is your opportunity to publicly declare your love for God. And so if you already love God and you already have the relationship with him, then take that extra step of public faith to do it. Do you have to give a long speech? No, man. If you, I'll say two words for you and dunk you. And I'm telling you guys, I've been doing this for many years. I haven't drowned one, haven't lost one person yet. Some people I tried to hold a little bit longer to make sure all of it got out, but I ain't never lost nobody. And so if you are a born-again Christian, you are confident in that aspect, then you don't need to wait for anything else. What I'm willing to do is tomorrow, I will give you the class. I will walk you through all the details. I will answer all your questions before small groups. And then on Sunday, we'll get you baptized as long as you're good with it and your family is good with it. Amen? So if I don't know who I'm talking to. You know how people post it online. I don't know who this is for. I don't know who this is for, but I do feel like somebody in this room, you've been waiting for nothing. And uh, I need you to know, like, this is a commitment that God is calling you to do. I'm so proud of you, Bella, for, Bella pushed for it. Bella's like, uh, P. Joey, uh, you need to baptize me already. And I'm like, for real, man, I forgot about that. I'm, she told us in uh, summer camp. And so I'm just so glad that she was willing to step out in faith. And some of y'all, somebody in this room needs to do that with her. Amen? All right. Sorry, that was a lot of announcements, but now you guys are all caught up on what we're doing. Um, I want to talk to you about, uh, uh, today's kind of a one of two-parter. We're going to do the first part today, and we're going to do the next part next week. But God has called his people, you and I, those of us who are born-again Christians, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a unique relationship with God and with this world. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, there's a big issue nowadays when it comes to your identity. Identity is a big struggle, not just, you know, sexual identity, but identity in general. Like, who am I and who am I supposed to be and what am I called to and and what are my interests? And what I found is the whole world has an opinion on who you are. Everybody's willing to tell you who you are, what you are, how to act. Everyone wants to throw a label on you and give your identity. And what I've uh, always tried to do is I try to let the word of God speak over me, not the word of man. I want God's opinion to be the final opinion. I want what God says about me to be more impactful than anything else that anyone else says about me. So there's this verse in a very important chapter of the Bible. You see it in all four Gospels. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he goes through a bunch of different aspects. There's a lot of different points. And there's one verse in particular in the book of Matthew that I want to hone in, where he puts this incredible label over us, this title over us. And I really want to unpack what that title means. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at just Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to what the verse says. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt that if it's lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Let me hone in on that first verse or that first sentence. You are the salt of the earth. When you want to talk about your identity, this is your identity. You have been called to be salt. 
You are the salt of the earth. Now, this isn't everyone. This isn't every human being. He is talking to his disciples. He is talking to those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have a relationship with Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you consider yourself one, what he's saying is part of your identity is wrapped up in your identity of being salt. Now, the important thing is, well, what does that mean? Because this is kind of a colloquial term, and and we use stuff like that all the time. We use terminology in today's culture that 50 years from now, nobody's going to get. So, you know, when somebody says, you know, cap, most people 50 years from now aren't going to understand what exactly that means. So you kind of got to break it down a little bit. And as I was reading through this, there's two aspects to salt that I want to look at. One is how it affects you on a personal level and how that title of salt affects you in your relationship with the rest of the world. So if you're taking notes, I want us to first look at that first category, how it affects you and I. What does it mean to you personally to be labeled salt? And there's a few characteristics of salt that I think are incredibly important to really hone in on this. The first one is this. Salt is precious and valuable. Salt is precious and valuable. Now, this may not seem obvious because you can get salt at Aldi for 97 cents, right? That salt doesn't seem like it's that precious. But, you know, sometimes it depends on the salt. Now they got that bougie, fancy salt, you know, that pink Himalayan salt. That's when you cook and find, when you got that, that rock salt, that kosher salt. You know, some of y'all, it's like, nah, bro, bro, we table salt in my house. Like, that's all we got. And I ain't even mad at you, right? But you got to understand within the context of what he's saying, and these days, Salt wasn't just an easy thing to get. It wasn't something that you can just get down the road at the corner store and pick up a thing of salt. Salt was a very, very precious and valuable commodity. I mean, new worlds were discovered in search of salt and spices. Like, salt is incredibly valuable and incredibly precious. And, and so much so that in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there's all these kind of rules, especially about how to offer your sacrifice to God. And when they would make these sacrifices, these offerings to the Lord, there's a lot of rules on, on how that offering was to be given so that God would accept it. And there's an interesting verse in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to what it says. Season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. Seems like an odd thing, right? But there's a reason he's making an emphasis on salt. Because like I said, salt was expensive to get. Salt wasn't an easy commodity. And so what he's saying is, hey, when you give this offering, it should cost you something. This is something that is valuable. Not something that you just do because you got a lot of extra stuff around it. So what you were doing is when you were adding salt, you were putting value to the offering that you were giving God. You were showing God, I'm offering something to you that cost me something. It's valuable, right? It would be the difference, like, if, uh, I don't know if you guys ever had, if you got siblings, especially around Christmas time, when, uh, when your sibling gives you a present, and you know your mom and dad bought the present, and they're just like, it's from you. And you and your sibling are both just as surprised when you opened it, because they never seen what it is. Like, it's just got their name on it. You're not sitting there like, oh, my sibling, you're so kind. You're like, whatever, mom got me this. (laughs) But even if your sibling, especially like your younger sibling, and when they make something for you or they went and got something with the little piggy bank change, and man, it might be only worth $2, and, you know, it might not be that crazy, but you know in your mind it's like, no, but that's from them. That cost them something. 
That's why when we talk about Speed the Light, and man, I, I'm, I'm like hopeful that you guys will raise $10,000 by the time we go to Momentum, but I ain't gonna lie, I'm also not looking forward to wearing a pregnancy simulator on my belly if you do, because uh, that's very, very painful. But I'm like, man, if they raise 10 Gs, that's awesome. But, but here's the thing, and I, I get to be a part of these national groups. I see a lot of youth groups, they raise like 50,000, 100,000, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But I ain't gonna lie, sometimes I feel like it's kind of cheating, I'm not going to bash on because we'll take the money. It's all for missions. But sometimes it's like the rich, you know, what's his face from the church? Just threw them a $50,000 check. And I'm like, well, you didn't do anything. You just took the check. But when I see you guys, like some of you guys on Halloween were outside, you know, selling a hot apple cider for a dollar a cup and you raised nearly $80. Good job, Allie, for, for spearheading some of that. And I'm like, man, that's awesome, right? Because it cost you something. It costs you standing outside in the cold. It costs you putting yourself out there. So it's more valuable when you offer that to God. But now let's look at the reverse. Because you got to understand something. That same value has been placed on you. You are made valuable because you are salt. How do I know? Well, look, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So all throughout the Old Testament, an offering is being made to God. A sacrifice is being made to God in order to remind us of the promise, the covenant that God has that one day you and I would have a relationship with him again. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes this ultimate sacrifice because he values you above everything else. Because he wants a relationship with you. And so he doesn't just offer salt. He offers his physical body, his blood, shed on the cross so that you and I can have a relationship. This speaks to the value of you, not just the value of God. This is God saying, you are so valuable that I will give my only son, my one and only, so that you and I could have a relationship. It goes to the value of who you are. When you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is you are bought at a price. You are costly. You are expensive. You are worth something. And one of our greatest struggles, especially as teenagers, but not limited to being a teenager, we struggle with feeling valued. We struggle with feeling like we're worthless, like nobody cares. My own dad didn't care about me, or, or my mom doesn't care about me, or you know, my teachers don't care about, the leaders here don't care about, we always undervalue ourselves and, and you know, so-and-so, I like them, but they don't like me and, and, you know, I can't make any friends. We come up with all these different reasons why we're not valuable, but I need you to understand, even if all that were true, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, not only are you valuable and not only do I speak it over you, I proved it in my love by dying on the cross and paying a price that's not paid with mere gold or silver which lose value, but which paid with my precious blood. So why does he call you salt of the earth? Because you're one of the most valuable things on this planet. As a matter of fact, salt was so valuable during this time that it was often uh, the way that they would pay Roman officers. It's the root word of salary, sal, salt, salary, is how they would use to pay somebody off. This was so valuable that it was literal currency. And God is saying, hey, you are the currency of heaven. You are the most valuable thing that I have. And it's why the enemy wants to take you out. 
because there is nothing more valuable to God than you. So I'd be careful the next time I put myself down, the next time I look in the mirror and I talk badly about myself, the next time I I get caught in a funk and I start feeling like nobody cares about me. Trust me, you will never be in a place in your life where nobody cares about you because God always cares about you, always has, always will. You are valuable. Not only is salt valuable, but salt is used to preserve Right? Salt is used to preserve. Uh, Before the invention of refrigerators, people had to use other methods to preserve foods so that they wouldn't spoil. Whether they caught fish or whether they had hunted meat uh, or whatever kind of foods that they needed, they didn't have refrigeration, especially in hot climates. And so they needed to find ways to preserve that food. And so what they did is they began to pack it with salt. And they would pack it with salt, and the salt would prevent the rotting and and would prevent it from from becoming bad. The most common method was packing in salt. Well, listen what 2 Corinthians says, chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. As Christians, you are called to be the salt of the earth. You are called to be the enduring thing on this earth. That no matter what troubles come your way, no matter what challenges, no matter what difficulties, understanding because we have a heavenly mentality that this is temporary, this ain't eternal. Yeah, I'm going through a tough time right now. Yes, I'm struggling with some of my emotional issues. I'm struggling with some of my past. I'm struggling with some of the relationships I have. But this issue is only temporary because my life is eternal. And so when you have that concept, you can endure those situations. You don't rot like the rest of the world rots. You don't decay like the rest of the world decays. You endure because you are salt. You can get through those situations. Some of us forget that. And we crumble every time we go through something. And I get it, because at our age, man, I've been there. You feel like it's the end of the world. Oh, she broke up with me. Oh, he doesn't like me anymore. Trust me, 10 years from now, you're going to notice how crooked that dude's teeth really were. And you're going to look at those pictures and go, I can't believe I like that guy. Right? Oh, I can't believe I like that girl. You're going to look back and you're going to be like, what was I thinking? You were thinking like a (laughs) 12-year-old. There's no knock on that. And we think in these situations... That the temporary is eternal. But God has built you to endure. God has built you to get over these things. Not just over, but get through them. That's the purpose of salt. Salt doesn't rot. Salt preserves. Salt is what God uses not just to preserve you, but to preserve things around you. So when you get into contact with the rest of the world, when they're suffering, when they're struggling, and we come around them as a family, we pack that salt in, we lift people up. We bring people through situations, not in and of our own selves, but through the grace of God, we help people to endure the trials of this world, to go through the very necessary painful situations that we feel like we can't go through. I love that God calls us salt because it's the very opposite of weak. It's the very opposite of deteriorating. No, no, we are in momentary troubles. There's another verse in the Bible where it talks about uh, we're knocked down, but we're not destroyed. We're we're pressed on every side, but we're not abandoned. We go through these things. Yes, we're going to go through them, guys. We're going to go through some really tough times. Some of you have had to go through tougher times than others. 
But we go through them. We don't fall under them. And we go through them because we can endure it. We can endure the pain of life because of what Christ endured on the cross. And we look to that and we say, Christ, if you could endure that, I can endure this. Because I know that I'm not enduring it on my own. Amen? So we know that God calls you to endure. And we know that God calls you to be valuable. But what does that mean then when it comes to our impact with the rest of the world? If God has called you to be valuable and God has called you to endure, what does that saltiness mean to everyone else? Well, there's two other things I think we need to pay attention to. Salt has this powerful ability of creating thirst. In 1965, Pepsi-Cola purchased the potato chip company Frito-Lays. Now, what would a soft drink company do with the potato chip company? It's easy. Potato chips make you thirsty. Makes you want to drink pop. Makes sense, <laughs> right? It's the, the saltiness of the chips that make you want to drink something sweet. Jesus understood this simple yet profound principle that if we are to be the salt of the earth, then we are making people thirsty for water. And who has the water to quench their thirst? There is something about you that should cause a thirst for God. There should be something about you that should cause you to want and desire that water that only God can give. It's why I love salty food. I don't know about you. I don't know if it's still the same right now. But growing up for me, uh, eating pizza and drinking an RC are like peanut butter and jelly. Like I just need a cold RC and a pizza. And I think it's because every pizza shop in Chicago, they always got you like a free two-liter RC or one liter. Now they probably give you a 20-ounce. People cheap nowadays. They give you a little baby can of RC. Say, enjoy your pizza, right? But, but growing up, I just, and, and it's stuck in my head. I can't have a slice of pizza without some pop. Like, it's just like, I need it. I just have to have that now, right? It's ingrained in me, okay? It's why Mexican restaurants, when you sit down, they put tortilla chips on the table because they're trying to create an appetite in you so that you can order some drinks. By the way, did you know that most restaurants, the reason they give you ice water is because ice water, it, it tends to fill you up. It kind of shrinks in some of the organs on the inside. You get full faster, so the more cold drink you drink, the less you're going to eat. It's kind of a scam, I think. <laughs> the question is, does your life make people thirsty? Is your life lived in such a way that people want more of God because they're an encounter with you? John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. People don't know because they don't say and they wouldn't even think to ask you. Are you the kind of person that when they come encounter with you, they want more of God? Here's the funny thing about salt. Salt is not only something that makes you thirsty, salt is a part of what quenches your thirst. If you are severely dehydrated, one of the things they say is they, they don't give you straight water because that could actually uh, oversaturate and it could burst your cells. You can die. And like if you're severely dehydrated and all of a sudden you drink a gallon of water, that could actually kill you. So one of the things they do is they, they put a saline solution or, or they have hydration, but it has a little bit of salt in it. Matter of fact, it's why you want Gatorade oftentimes when you're working out. Gatorade has salt in it. And it's the soluble aspect. It's that balance of salt and water that make your cells function well and makes your body work right. There's this intense balance. Matter of fact, babies don't have that. So babies can't have water for at least six months. 
If a baby were to drink water, it could die because it would totally throw off the balance of salt and water in their body. Even about 15 ounces can kill a baby. It's kind of a random, I only know that because I have babies, so I'm like, don't get them near water. Like, I'm totally freaked out about it. Why am I saying that? Because you can be not only the source of thirst, but a part of the solution that God has for quenching that thirst. All because of the salt that you're supposed to be. You create that desire. People want to know more about God the more they know about you. People start to see that you're different. People start to see that you're not like everybody else. People start to feel good about being around you. People start to get excited whenever you show up. People start to ask you questions and look to you for advice because they keep sensing there is something about you that is drawing me closer and closer to I don't know what, but you do. And this thirst, as it continues to build, you can look to them and say, hey, I got the very thing that'll quench that thirst. Why? Because that's what salt does. It not only creates the thirst, but it often helps to quench it. And then the fourth thing is this. Salt has an ability to enhance. Salt has an ability to enhance, meaning it makes things better. Right? Have you ever been maybe at a restaurant or maybe you're eating at home and you, you dig into your food and you think to yourself, something's missing. And then you think, it needs salt. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you ever have like your mom and dad, it already has salt. And you're like, not enough. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like people will yell at you. It's like, it's got salt. It's like, obviously, you're not putting enough salt in this. Salt enhances. Now, I'm not saying you should salt your food so much that it tastes salty. Because when you cook well, that salt brings out the flavor of whatever you put it on. So it shouldn't necessarily taste salty, it should taste flavorful. Salt is meant to enhance, salt is meant to bring things out. And so here's the deal, do you enhance the world around you? Do you bring the best out of people? Do you make situations better? When you walk in the room, is the room better because you walked in it? When you show up to the party, are people excited? Are you the one cousin when it shows up to the family reunion where everyone goes, oh, and they get really excited because, man, you just showed up. That's the enhancement, right? Are you the one that when you walk through your school doors, that school is now better because you walked in the presence of God. So you just brought the presence of God into your school. You just brought the presence of God into that locker room. You just brought the presence of God onto that field. You are walking in the presence of God. And everywhere you go, it enhances things. The Bible tells us that some of the disciples, especially in the book of Acts, guys like Peter, guys like Paul, when they would walk around, they were so full of the Holy Spirit that their shadows would heal people. As they walk by, just their shadows, people would steal Paul's working handkerchiefs and lay it on people to help them who were sick, and they would get healed from his handkerchief. This is how much they enhance the world around them. God has called us to enhance, not to deteriorate. God has called us to make things better, not make things worse. If you are the salt of the earth, that means when somebody walks into Excel, that you're that person that makes them want to come back a second time. You're that person when they come into small groups that they feel comfortable talking now because you just enhanced the experience. Because you just made things better simply because you're there. Job chapter 6, verse 6 through 7 says, Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. 
There was this one time we were uh, fasting, and I was doing this thing called the Daniel fast. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel, he fasted from, from certain amounts of food for a certain amount of time, for 14 days. And so I was doing this fast. And in the book of Daniel, it talks about uh, he had no flavorable food. So I made this commitment in my head. I wouldn't eat anything with flavor. Everything was going to be bland. And so all I ate was vegetables. I had no dressing. If I had meat, I had no salt on it. I had nothing on it. I'm not going to lie to y'all. It was completely disgusting. Horrendous. Just a little bit of salt makes it incredible. But no flavor, no salt. I was like, yo, man, I don't know how people do this. You know, I come from a, a long line of Goya. Like we, we, the flavor was in the fingertips, Papa. You know, we just did those things. And all of a sudden, I went into no flavor land. And it was sad. Matter of fact, I didn't want to eat. I lost my appetite because what I tasted wasn't good. I wonder, I wonder how many people tried church, tried God, but because they tasted you, they lost their appetite for him. Because you didn't have any flavor. Because you didn't have any salt. Man, I wonder how many people would have given God a shot, but instead of tasting him, they tasted you. And not only were you not salty, you were a little bitter. And you left a bad taste in their mouth. My daughter has this thing. She'll try anything. But if she doesn't like it the first time, it's going to be really hard to give her another try. Because in her head, she just remembers what it tasted like. So if it's, it could be a good fruit in general, but if I happen to give her a bad piece, now in her mind, all that fruit tastes like that. You ever met people like that? Where the, you invite them to youth group, you invite them to church, and they go, oh, no, all you Christians are like blank. Christians are all like this. Why? Because maybe they've seen one or two online that left a bad taste in their mouth. Maybe they have one or two in their family. I mean, we all got that weird aunt, you know, who sends those weird memes, and you're like, mama, you're making this so, so horribly uncomfortable. And it's that unsalted, flavorless impact that causes people to say, I don't want to have anything to do with God because that doesn't enhance my life. What do I need that for? And here's another thing, if I could take this a step further. If you profess to have a relationship with God, but it doesn't enhance your life, it doesn't make you a better person. You don't see the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, love, patience, you know, all those aspects. If there's not a change in your life, then people are going to either assume that God's flavor is no good or you're not salted. See, when you have a relationship with God, when you have a personal, growing relationship with God, there's transformation that comes on the back end of that. I'm not saying you become a superhero overnight, but every day you're becoming more and more like Christ. There is a growing development in your life, so much so that people want to be around you. I was talking to somebody the other day, an old friend of mine who used to come here when we were kids, and he asked me, he goes, hey, didn't you have the record for the most kids you ever brought to Excel? I used to say it with pride, but I'm kind of sad about it now. 12 years in, no one's ever beaten my record when I was 16. And I brought 22 of my friends to church. I brought more, but they only counted the 22 who had come for the first time. Some had already come here before. And I had three rows filled with just my friends. Can I be honest with you? They didn't come to hear the evangelist. They didn't know who that was. They didn't come because they were searching God and there was this deep desire for the presence of God. They didn't come because the worship team was slamming. It wasn't even that great that time. No knock on you, Pastor Jason, if you were on the worship team at that time. I'm going to be straight with you. 
They came because of me, because I asked them to, because they saw something going on in my life. They thought I brought value to their life. They loved me, and I loved them. I won a DVD player. That's how old that thing was. And 22 of my friends came, and 22 of my friends gave their life to the Lord at the altar. Why? Because what they tasted was good enough for them to want to come and try the whole meal for themselves. And that's what we are. We're just a taste of God. We're not God. We can't transform anyone's lives. We can't make anyone get saved. We can't, you know, do any of those things in and of ourselves. But oftentimes we are the first taste people have of who God is. And we need to be careful to make sure it's a good taste. It's something that they remember. This world is hard enough as it is. People in your life should notice when your salt isn't around. They should look for you and desire to have you around them. Negativity, that's not enhancing. Think about this, right? If you're always negative, if you're always, you know, Debbie Downer, if everything always stinks in your life, why would I want your God? Obviously, it don't work for you. My dad told me this the other day, and I felt bad. He said when one time uh, the doctor made him go to a nutritionist, he's like, that nutritionist is twice as big as me. And I'm like, pop, that's messed up. He goes, I know. <laughs> and, and that's the problem, isn't it? Like, you can't take someone seriously who doesn't take it seriously themselves. And so, you know, if you're not living in a way that looks like your life is enhanced, no one else is ever going to trust that their life can be enhanced by the same thing. And so how can we enhance our environment? Well, there's a few things we do corporately together. This whole share the love and the grub thing on Saturday, it's not because we got nothing better to do. This costs money. This costs time. This costs a lot of work. It costs you a lot of energy. Is it fun? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of fun doing it. But why do we do it? Well, I'll be honest with you. If you've ever driven past Belmont, like if the first time you ever came, I don't know if you guys can ever think about this. The first time you ever came, we don't look like a church on the outside. We look like an old abandoned bank. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if somebody was just walking by and didn't take the time to read the signage, you wouldn't know who we are. And I remember thinking to myself, even last year in the midst of the pandemic, as we started to do more outreach kind of things, I remember the Lord and I just having this conversation and God asking if Belmont wasn't here, would the neighborhood notice? And that really messed with me. Hey, I want our neighborhood to notice us. I want us to see that we're here. I want us to experience the enhancement of the gospel in their lives. And there's something incredibly powerful about people in need. Literally, I was having people text me today, Pastor Joy, I'm really struggling with getting food. Can I come through on Saturday? I'm like, Absolutely. Why would you even ask that? Absolutely, yes. Take anything you want. But the fact that there's teenagers out there when most people think you don't care about anybody but yourself, the fact that there's teenagers out there putting food in people's trunks, smiling at them, waving a sign, saying thank you. I don't know if you guys got to be a part of it last year. It felt amazing to be the salt of the earth because it's what God called us to be. It's who God called us to be. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. If you notice, though, the second part of that verse in Matthew chapter 13, let me go back. Actually, uh, can you put that up for me again, Jonathan? It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? 
it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Think about that. What good is flavorless salt? That's stupid. <laughs> it would be the same as, you know, sugar that doesn't have any sweetness. What do you want it for then? That's the whole purpose behind it. So if you had salt and it didn't have any flavor, you wouldn't just leave it on your counter. Throw it away. Why? It's pointless. As a Christian, the title is pointless without the flavor. It can have the label of salt, but when you taste it, if it's not salty, then it's worthless. Some of us, we think having the label of Christian is enough. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm salt. But when people taste you, do they taste salt or do they taste nothing? Salt has a purpose, right? It enhances, it has value. Salt uh, brings the best out of you. Salt preserves. Salt creates thirst. Salt has a purpose. And I need you to get something tonight, guys. You have a purpose on this earth. And I need you to know your purpose is not limited to a career path. It's not limited to the degrees you're trying to pursue in college. It's not limited to the families that you're trying to build. That might all be part of your purpose, but one of your greatest purposes is to be salt. And so here's my question for you tonight as we get ready to close. What aspect of that title, salt, are you struggling with tonight? Maybe you're here and you're really having a hard time understanding your value. You're really beating yourself up. People tell you all the time that they love you and that you're valuable, but quite honestly, you don't believe them. And you you're make it very hard on yourself. And if I can even take it a step further, even when they say it in church, you don't even believe God because you can't see your value. Well, I need you to know something. You don't see your value in yourself. You see the value in what others are doing for you. Your value came in what Christ did and the actions that he performed to establish your value, not in what you think about yourself. It's like anything else. If you're gonna sell something, my dad for a long time, he wanted to sell his old car. He, he holds like, I love my dad. I'm sorry, I'm bringing him up a lot. But he'll like save things in the basement because he thinks because they're old, they're antiques. I'm like, that's just old. And he goes, but that's really valuable. I go, it's only valuable if somebody pays you for it. Otherwise, it's just junk in the basement. Your value is not based on what you've done and who you are and none of that. Your value is based on what Jesus Christ did for you to acquire you and to have you. And he paid the highest price for your value. Maybe things tonight or lately have been extra challenging and you're struggling with holding on to your faith. I know God's called you to endure, but some of you feel like you've just been enduring for a long time and you're wondering, well, how much longer do I have to endure until you get through it? And I know it seems long, but the last thing you want to do is let go right before the breakthrough. The last thing you want to do is give up right before God's about to bring you over it. Maybe tonight you're doing well personally, but you're not living in a way that creates a thirst for God. You're not living in a manner that draws people closer to a relationship with God. 
Or is it even possible that instead of enhancing people's lives, you're making them more difficult? Could it be possible that even some of you in this church, there are friends of yours that, man, they could go so much further spiritually, but you're actually the one that's holding them back. You're the one who doesn't want to pay attention during service. You're the one who wants to talk. You're the one who hangs out in the hallways during worship or during pre-service prayer or goes to the bathroom and is ignoring things. Man, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting the people that you so-called care about. You're called to enhance, not to hold back. Tonight, I think we need to go to God before we lose our saltiness, not after. Because like the verse says, how can something be made salty again? And too many of us, we wait till we feel like it's all falling apart. When God is saying, listen, I can help you right where you're at. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And I'm going to ask you guys just to join me all together at this altar, just so we don't signal anybody out. We're going to take some time up here, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship. Come on up. There's nobody in the front. Don't, nobody will spit on you. I'll keep my distance, guys. Just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Listen to my voice. What area of salt are you struggling with? From the oldest to the youngest, man, we all go through it. Do you need God to show you how valuable you really are? We're going to pray that God would do that tonight. Do you need God's grace and strength to help you get through this challenging time so that you can endure? Because the Bible tells us that even when you feel like you've got more than you can handle, God will make a way for you. Man, do you need a kick in the butt tonight? Because when you've been created to make a thirst and to quench that thirst, you've been too scared to do it. Or maybe you need God to call you out, to show you that you were created to enhance. That that same gift you have of distraction could be the gift of enhancing if you were just willing to give it over to God. So with every head bow, every eye closed. Pastor Jason is going to lead us in a song in just a moment. And as we're going through that song, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I want you to speak in return, and then I'll close us out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, you know where we find ourselves at right now. You know what aspect of our salt we need your help in. For some, it's one. For some of it's all. But God, I thank you that you called us to be salt long before we ever said yes to you, God. You already knew the project that we were, God. You already knew the mess that we were in. You already knew the sins that we would commit, the struggles that we would have, and yet you called us anyways, God. You called us to what we would be, not what we used to be. So I thank you, Lord, that our value is set in your hands, not in the world's. I thank you, God, that we can be an enhancement to the world because of the enhancement you've made in our lives. <clears throat> I thank you, Lord, that we can live in such a way that it creates a greater desire, a greater thirst for your presence, God. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to endure 
some of those struggles and difficulties that it has in being that salt. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, you know my heart and my love for them. But Lord, I pray that they would know your heart and your love for them even more. And Father God, I pray that like salt, we would spill ourselves out, God. We wouldn't just be contained in and of ourselves, but we would pour ourselves out on this world that's so desperate for you. We would pour ourselves out in our family that so desperately needs you. We would pour ourselves out in this ministry so that when people walk in, they would be enhanced and they would be overwhelmed at this flavor that they've experienced in you, God. Lord, I pray that we would be the salt of the earth and that there would be no mistaking who we are in you, God. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we're not made salty on ourselves. Lord, it is you that makes us as flavorful as we are. So we give you all the honor and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Come on, y'all. Would you give God a hand clap of praise? Hey, listen, I just want to encourage you again. Hey, let's be here tomorrow night again at the end of this. Once we got everything wrapped up, that leftover stuff, y'all got first dibs on it. So empty out your trunks, get yourself situated. There's some good stuff back there. Uh, and then remember, on Saturday from 11 to 2 o'clock, all hands on deck. We can use everybody's help. Uh, make sure that you're here. Bring yourselves out. And then please bring your forms tomorrow to Momentum. I want everybody to go. Uh, and so if there's anyone who has an issue, if you need me to talk to your mom, if you need financial help, if you need me to do 10 jumping jacks, whatever, like, let's make it happen. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, the Mabunglungs are selling some boba tea in the back for Speed the Light. So if anybody's interested in some fresh made boba tea, they got you in the back. How much is it, Ara? It's going to be $4. So $4 for a boba tea. That's cheaper than Jess. There's, there's chips for $1. And there's hot chips for $1. So hot chips for a dollar. Lizzie's not allowed to have any of that. She's got issues already. She's got way too many hot chips in her system. Um, uh, but yeah, enjoy, guys. It's all of the money. All the proceeds go to Speed the Light. Uh, so God bless you. I love you. Can't wait to do this with you guys tomorrow. We'll see you there.